Hello, everybody. We're on the home front live. We're happy to have you with us. You might be listening to us live on the radio at WILI AM 1400 and digital 95.3 FM. We're also recording this for YouTube, so the show's available 24-7 whenever you want. We try to cover local stories and get them out on YouTube, on radio. They also air on WECS up at Eastern. So our guests today are going to focus on veterans' issues in Connecticut. This will be the third in our series looking at the Wyndham Regional Community Council. And for the second half of the show, we're going to take a look at Thread City Classical Dance. They're about to begin their summer program. They have many programs and many styles of dance. And we're going to have some people on for the second half of the show about that. But right now we're going to begin. I'm very happy to have Jeff Beadle back in the house again. He's the executive director of the Wyndham Region Community Council. Welcome back, Jeff. Nice to be here, John. Always. Thanks always for the big invite. You bet. And I'm also happy to have in the studio again Woody Woodbury. He's the director of the... Uh, Wyndham Veteran Advisory Center. He's been there now since 1995, quite a few years. Lots of stories to share about veterans coming in our community. So welcome to the program, Woody. Great to have you here today. Thank you, John. It's a pleasure to be here. So I think for a nice starting point is a little context of where the program originated. And uh, it started with WRCC in 1974 when it was started as an agency. And then veterans became an issue of concern. And that's where Jeff will give us an idea of the roots. And then he can talk about how he brought Woody on board and how things are for us in eastern Connecticut. Thanks, John. You bet. Uh, just for a little bit of history, the uh, WRCC itself was incorporated back in the late 70s. And uh, prior to our involvement with veterans issues, uh, the vet services were actually operated on a very part-time basis out of uh, the town of Wyndham and the town hall. And at uh, a certain point, what turned out to be 1995, the town of, of Wyndham approached us and asked us if we'd be willing to sponsor and host the program within our family of services. So the uh, both Woody and I are responsible to report to the uh, Wyndham, Wyndham um, Area Veterans Council, Veterans Advisory Council. So together with uh, those individuals, uh, Larry Haynes, some people may remember, was the chair. We interviewed a number of individuals and we hired uh, Woody Woodbury one of the best answers he gave to the que to the to the question is why do you why do you you know what have you done and what just wh what do you want to do in the future and he goes well i haven't done my best yet and that's what i'm planning to do and that was back in 1995 and that's what he's done uh providing a, a compelling voice for veterans issues and assisting them in um receiving benefits for which they're entitled. So Woody, when you came on board, did you have, uh, since you've had several years of service now, when you first came on, you must have had some initial vision or thought of what you might be encountering here. And how has that changed? Or how much do you think you guessed correctly? And what were your surprises between then and 2023? I had a chance to warm up uh, Andy Carey and Larry Haynes told me to, to get in the in the on deck circle, and, and if this came, came available, they would lean my way for it. Um, 
So I, I did service officer work up to the VFW for a couple of years before we got the nod down here. Mm -hmm. And I got the chance to transport the guys to the various VA hospitals around here and, and kind of get introduced to that system. And I heard a little bit about soldiers, sailors, and Marines, although that was still very murky. That, was, that still wasn't up to where we wanted to make it as public as possible, uh, especially with the amount of money that's in the bank on that outfit. Uh, so it, 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 they gave me a chance, and once they gave me a nod, it was it was kind of a pleasure to uh, to get over to the WRCC and see what was going on. Especially we had one Jane was that's right. Yeah, Jane Metzler Potts was probably one of the, she made it the easiest for anybody I knew, and she uh, she was really a classic. And then Jeff made it, you know he just he just brought it aboard. Yeah, <clears throat> he's a great enabler of many uh, programs, right? In a positive. <laughs> Oh yeah, because each one needs the trigger. Each one needs that trigger, to you know, to keep growing in its own way. So now we're in 2023. Let's kind of look at today. Folks are aware of veterans' issues. I don't know how closely they follow the reality of everyday life, apart from an occasional news story, right? But what's the situation like for veterans in our part of the state, and how are they getting along overall between their short-term needs and their long-term sense of being okay? I think now there's a plethora of programs out there that uh, sometimes can be confusing, and that's where we've got to bring it back, or, or at least have the answers for what what's applicable to the certain veterans' needs, and, and what might be able to go on the back burner until they can face up with something like that later on. We need to uh, sit down with them individually and address what they're what they're up against and how to go about helping them with it. And a lot of it's financial. There's sure. A, there's a couple of financial. We mentioned soldier sealers already, and that's that's a pretty important thing out there in the state of Connecticut, strictly for the state of Connecticut, which is a, a good thing too. Uh, and the VA is opening up on, on on some fronts. They're they're making it easier to access uh, care through the community care program. They they need to polish that a little bit. Do you think the VA is getting more resources, or do you think they're getting their act together with some of their management challenges internally? I, I think Overall, the, I, mean. I think the administrative staff could use a little cleaning up. The medical staff has always impressed me with their professionalism and their dedication. Their hands-on. But when it comes to, uh, to to getting something through the administrative staff, you have to go about it carefully, and and and, and you have to be ready to lean into it. Yeah. yeah. But it is there, and it's doable. So if you're if you're you know if you've got the time and you can you can sit back and keep going at it, you can accomplish quite a bit. You know, I guess part of the challenge from other conversations is that there's so much emotion involved that what might seem like a bureaucratic simplicity is it's an emotional trip to get things prepared to tell these stories, right? And that means a challenge for some people that might take longer. It's not quite as simple, even though it's meant to be easy to access. The, uh, you know, on the veteran side. What I see a lot of things, of course, nowadays the guys that are getting out of the service are taking the time to learn and think about what they want to do when they do transition out. In, the, in, the, uh, in 1968, when I got out, all we wanted to do was go home and forget about it. Mm -hmm. But we, uh, mm -hmm. it, nowadays they're sitting down, they've got a lot more programs while they're on active service to help them to accomplish their 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 wants when they get out. They get to classes on how to, to start their applications for VA care before they actually leave, which gets them, uh, that, oh, yeah. that's like that's like getting a giant step ahead right there. Sure. And then they don't have to get out of the service and look for somebody like me to help them make the transition. So it, it, they're, they're way ahead. Um, back in the day, 
we we got out and, and they, they said, well, if you're not World War II or something, you might have to sit back in the back of the class for a while and wait. Mm -hmm. uh, that, that, that wasn't always something the guys wanted to hang on for. Yeah. That's something that's that's come up with some other conversations with veterans is the generations of service and the branch differences. But, you know, a Korean War vet, a Vietnam vet, a, you know, like an Iraq vet, they're almost a different universe. And sometimes the unity is there, but acting on it sometimes brings up differences, right? It's not political, it's experiential. It, I found that the, the In a desert is not the same thing as in a desert in the middle of World War II, you know. It's yeah. a different frame. I found that the most neglected group of veterans that I've dealt with are the Korean veterans. The World War II guys, and they earned everything they got, mm -hmm. were, were, got quite a bit handed to them, and, and they were, you know, of course, they were the greatest generation. Nobody can, I, I will never argue that. Yeah, they, um, they kind of overshadowed the Korean vets for quite a while, and the Vietnam vets came back, and I think maybe we were a little more vocal. A great many of us were uh, vocal about certain things. Mm -hmm. And, uh, and we were on the front page before those guys ever got a chance to speak up. Um, I've seen that in, in medical care, and I've seen that in, in social circ circles, so in the, in, the, uh, in the veterans' organizations. The Korean veterans never really participated to the point that the World War II guys and ultimately the Vietnam veterans did. And, you know, there's still the MIA issue. A friend of mine, Bill Dumas, is a, is a video producer. He did a documentary about how many are still missing in Korea yeah. that they know are still there, they can't locate them. And the governments are not cooperating, and it's been a real obstacle just for families, too. That's got to be a very difficult place to be right now. I just dealt with a, with a veteran who was on a DMC about 10 years ago, and he said he, they actually used Agent Orange on the DMC. And that's starting to come to the surface where I, I, I put a veteran who unfortunately passed away two years ago in for... 100% disability to the VA, and once we once we established wow. that he'd been on the DMZ during that period, he got it. Now you mean the demilitarized zone, DMZ, yeah. right? Yeah. That's an area that's supposed to be safe. Yeah. Right. It's supposed to be safe and not toxic the way it was. Apparently. Yeah. They, they, yeah. yeah. I uh, I wouldn't want to be a, a military personnel in, in South Korea right now. Last I heard, there was only about 38,000 of them down there. And the North Korean army, I think, outweighs them at least 10 times. Yeah. I wouldn't want to be around there. So, Jeff, let me ask you a little larger question now because we're looking at time. Are there any big shifts people should be aware of in state or federal support or what other kinds of resources are available? It's a large mission. There's, there are many kinds of expenses, many issues to deal with. Uh, in, in your environment, trying to provide resources, what's the changes for you on your end? Well, actually, it's basically a status quo. And the reason is that we've, um, well, we, we have a program that the towns believe in, uh, the municipalities. So we do not have any state or federal funds to support the project. It's basically funding from area municipalities. And the major funder is the town of Wyndham. And then to some extent, there's generosity within the town of Mansfield. And then, um, interestingly, there, there's interest in Chaplin that has provided funding. You know, a small Excellent. amount, yeah. but proportionately. It all adds up. It all adds up. It's all real. Yeah, so... Um, in the, we recently just had the uh, budget passed, or the town had the budget passed in Wyndham. Right. Um, and our, the dollars that are committed for the project are there. 
And it's not a big sum. This, the entirety of the budget, including everything, is about 50000 And uh, Woody actually is, is working part-time on a part-time basis. So, uh, but we're stable so long as the, the towns uh, continue to support us. Right. You know, that's one of the interesting aspects of WRCC, the Wyndham Regional Community Council, is they're managing multiple needs, and each of those needs has a different base of support depending on the kinds of challenges they're facing and different resources. So that's got to be interesting and challenging because those are formulas change, the mix of agency support shifts sometimes, and, and there's a need yes. that you know is demonstrated. It's just the environment that provides that support is hard to negotiate with. Yes. Right. Well, the thing I have to say in a very positive way yeah. is that regardless of who is headed up the various uh, municipalities, uh, there was a move at one point where some folks thought that the program should move back into the town hall and so oh. forth. But the Veterans Council uh, believes that we're in a very good position right on Main Street, right on the... Uh, the bus line were known, what is established there, it's very easy to do. But what I want to do is give credit to the, to the towns who have continued to support us, uh -huh. irrespective of who's in charge, you know, who is the chief elected official and That's right. what party is, uh, has more seats at the table than the other. That's refreshing these days. Quite it, so. It's the best kind of grassroots you can have. Absolutely. The best kind of grassroots. Yes. Now, by the way, in case you join us, we're talking about uh, the veterans' issues in our area with people from the Wyndham Regional Community Council, uh, Jeff Beadle and Woody Woodbury. Uh, the Veterans' Council is having a special event tied into Memorial Day, and I want to make sure now that we're at the halfway point that, that we talk about your gathering and maybe let people know what the council does throughout the year and what people might learn or benefit for getting more involved in those things. Well, the Veterans Council has had the distinction since I've been involved back in, I started in 1969, getting involved with that, and they've had the distinction of, of operating the uh, Memorial Day and Veterans Day programs for the town of Wyndham's. We've always considered it a privilege that we're very proud to, to do. Um, Memorial Day is coming up. Uh, Joe Tomlinelli made a great flyer up. Uh, Christopher Paulus, our president, uh, mm -hmm. and uh, Gary Palmo is the vice president nowadays. Uh, uh, Memorial Day, May 29, 2023, we start the, uh, the pilgrimage, which I don't think a lot of people under, have seen or understand. We start that at 7 o'clock every Memorial Day morning, and we leave the VFW, and we go to the 10 different uh, places in the town where there's either a cemetery or a monument to the deceased, to mm -hmm. those who have fallen. Kind of connect <coughs> the dots. We have a, yeah. Yeah, we have a little uh, observance at each one. Andy Carey was very big in that. Dan Reynolds is the star of the show. He's our chaplain. And then we move on to the next. And we um, used to do it at 7 o'clock this year. We're going to go to 7.30 so that there won't be a long break between the, um, the last observance at the Greenway and the major observance at Memorial Park. Sometimes we would lose too many people. It was better off just to have a quick break. And, sure. Uh, at the park, we'll start at 11 o'clock uh, this year. We just got confirmation from the National Guard that we're getting the flyover, and, and we're um, going to have some participation in marchers from the National Guard for the parade. We're getting a band. 
We haven't had a band for a couple of years. Oh, great. And so we're the high school. Do you school. know who they are? We'll give them the tip of the hat. We're the high schools coming forward. They're terrific. Too. Yeah. Okay. Yeah. There you go. They're, they're going to be there. So it looks like we're going to, we're leaning back into a, a, a parade that's appropriate. So it's a, it should be a good day. We also do Veterans Day for the town of Wyndham. We're very proud to do that. And it's a little bit more scaled down because it's chilly and whatnot. Mm -hmm. But mm -hmm. it's along the same vein that we pay respect to the, uh, to the, what, what the day is supposed to be. Right. And yeah. uh, we'll have, the, we'll, we'll get down to that later on. And, um, Outside of that, there was a time when I, when, when I started in 69 with this, uh, when they used to have 20 or 30 guys on the Veterans Council. Now we're down to about eight. Hmm. We could use a little bit of help, anybody who wants to. Our next meeting will be September 10th at 11 a.m. at the VFW in Willimannic. Uh, we take the summer off after Memorial Day, and we'll start the Veterans Day uh, planning. Um, they used to have, they used to, they used to put on a, a Veterans Day ball at the Armory. That's I, right. I remember mm. a couple of those events, and they used to actually hire an orchestra. Uh, we, unfortunately, we don't have the funding or the personnel to do that anymore. But those were the days, and they had the funding. The funding was mostly spent on scholarships for Wyndham High School. So they, their purpose was to keep whatever they did within the town of Wyndham. We've tried to keep that the same. Well, you know what I hear people talking about informally because we have the Shabu stage now and this beautiful park area, they try to kind of co-leverage assets and they collaborate on a larger event because each one might not be able to do it alone. But with a common theme of unity, you share a little labor, whatever money you may have, and they can do something to organize and sign it out at the same time and use it. So that's something that might be a nice thing to think about because you know, there are other needs that all relate to this. And I'm sure the town wouldn't mind a collaboration application. It's a great sure. idea, right? Well, we'll, yes. We'll bring yeah. that up on September 10th. Yeah. We'll yeah. I'll, I'll kick it around Memorial Day with the guys. And we'll sure. So if you go to the Wyndham Regional Community Council uh, website, there's information about you know who the people are and the kind of things that they do, and the programs are all there in detail. And for people that visit the veterans section, I wanted to ask a couple of things. Uh, how can people manage their personal care when they have to learn how to file or maybe they have a need for blank and they don't even know who takes care of that need? So it's not like a 411 information directory service, but if I'm a vet and I have a particular need and I go to 211, there's a big bureaucracy that may help me out. But you can help me zoom in. You know my life. You know exactly what my needs are. Is the website able to do that, or is it better to do something like that over the phone to help people find their way? I like to do it person to person. Uh, I think you get it. You can you get more right that way. Mm -hmm. um, I, the purpose of my job when I got it was not necessarily to know everything about veterans, but to be able to point the veteran in the right area or the okay. right direction if I did if I couldn't take care of them myself mm -hmm. to make sure they got to see the someone who could do it correctly. Yeah. And that was, I still try to do that. Are there any big differences in younger veterans coming out now that have recently served? Do you find them uh, either less in need or less inclined to work with veteran services? They're more into integrating into the workplace right now because they're younger? Or is there an age issue at all 
in terms of their interest and participation when the numbers drop the way you say they do? I get along pretty well with everybody who comes in. Oh, uh, I'm, I'm no, sure you do. No matter yeah. what their age. Of course. But, uh, you know, uh, a veteran's a veteran. I, I, once you establish the fact that we can speak the same language, mm -hmm. I think you, we, can, we can accomplish just about whatever we need to do for that particular person and their family. The big thing is to make sure the family doesn't go without. Is there anything that the general public can do to become more aware or when you talk to people and learn more about their needs and how it plays out maybe in everyday life? Are there lessons learned that you see that the public don't know yet where they can add to a problem, make it more difficult, or their small everyday things can have a real impact and they're yeah. not even aware? The, um the VA has programs that they're putting out, they're bringing around. The um, Soldiers, Sailors, and Marines Fund is finally opening up, and, and, and they're, coming, they're coming into the, uh, the Younger Guys Theater now. Mm -hmm. It was a time when you had to be a member of the American Legion before you got a dime out of them. Now, that's changed greatly. And, and wow. even though the American Legion still operates the fund, which yeah. is a state fund, we, um, they operate it for every bona fide veteran. Good. And, and yeah. It qualifies under the aspects of the state of Connecticut. So. That makes sense to me. Uh, now, for today, too, one thing I wanted to also ask Jeff when you look at issues, people hear about uh, people who now are getting ill, but they served maybe a decade ago. Uh, we've learned 30 years ago, 40 years about Agent Orange in Vietnam, and you just made reference to that horrible chemical. And people are still struggling decades later. Now it's a lot of veterans in those tar pits you mentioned exposed in Afghanistan. They didn't even know at the time how bad it was to just stand there. And now they're sick. Are you seeing any more awareness that people can respond more quickly now than they did with Agent Orange because they learned a lesson? Or is that a not good assumption? I, it's taken those guys, they were taking the same path we took as Agent Orange veterans for a while. They're, now they're starting to break out and they're being a little more vocal, which they got to be. Yeah, and and the VA, so. unfortunately, for a while was taking the same path they did with the Agent Orange veterans, which was to, they're going to wait and see how many of us drop before they're going to do anything. And that was, uh, we don't want to see that with these new guys because I think they've got more problems from more uh, carcinogens than we had. Yeah. Well, that's true for many parts of our life today. There's so much more chemical involved yeah, in, in yeah, we, all of our stuff. Yeah, we don't. Uh, we don't, it, it, and it didn't, uh, the information isn't coming any quicker than it did before with us as, as to how much they've discovered and how much they know what they're doing. So, right. I would like to see that brought forth. I'm sure the the government wants to make sure that they're telling the right thing when they tell it, but. I would like to see that brought forth a little more quickly. Yeah. yeah. Well, we're very happy to have you guys here in the studio today. I want to give some contact information. WRCC is at uh, 872 Main Street, right in the heart of downtown Willimantic, a few doors away from where we are now, actually. The main phone number is 423-4534, 860-423-4534. And if you go to the website, you can find it about all the programs and then make an appointment to have a chance to meet with Woody and learn about those forms or whatever you need to do to implement your solution. Uh, is, I think the website's changed, Jeff. Is it wrcc.online now? That's what popped up today. Is that the actual? Yes. Okay. So the website to reach the agency to get all this information and to keep up with new events during the year for all the programs is wrcc.online, and you'll be all set to go. Or simply give us a ring. There you go.
or uh, email us. Yeah. Uh, many modes of communication now. Yeah. But as Woody has stated, it still comes down to, with all the services we do, it's one-on-one, uh, -on -one, uh, get to know the person, what the issues are, and then look for the resources that are out there. Because they're out there. Uh, even though many, like Woody has referenced the Soldier Sailor Marine Fund, which is unique to the state of Connecticut, and I agree, which is good, which means that it's more localized, if you will. It's not run out of Washington. Uh -huh. And um, with that funding, uh, we can pay for people's needs, whether uh, you know it's, it's a rent payment, it's food needed, utilities. Medical bills. Medical bills. Yeah. Is that where we get the grave markers too from? No, no they get that from the vets. I go right to Quantico for those. Right. Yeah. Okay. So in, in a given year, we've, we've uh, been able to bring, Woody has, uh, been able to bring um, anywhere from 96 to upwards of $150,000 per year in direct aid, financial aid, right. to veterans, their spouses, and their, and their family. It's just, been, it's just been enlarged a little bit. We do two grants a year. Basically, we can pay for a mortgage or a rent twice a year, a tank of oil. Tank of oil, last winter, we had, it was the soldier sailors opened that up to, to the need. It was If, if the veteran tough. needed five tanks of oil during the winter, he got five tanks of oil. So it's opening up to a need. Uh, we do two rents, two mortgage payments. We do uh, two electric utility payments. Those are Bonafide, and we can pay if, on a simple. If if a veteran needs a, a home health care person to come in for like uh, thirty to sixty to ninety days, while the aid and attendance applications pending with the VA, we with a doctor's note we can qualify that, and that home health care person can be paid through the Soldier Sailors and Marines Fund. Um, and there's about ten more things that I'll screw up if I try to list them all. In oh, but you've so, already uh, hit lots of bells right now. I mean, a lot of yeah, people don't. Bells are ringing. The programs there are many times the, uh, the needs are not met from a lack of communication, not a lack of need, and the agencies have to get the word out. So that's why we're here now, sharing all these exact things. And you could follow up with all this, or maybe you know a veteran, someone who's back, and they could find out because that's everyday life you're talking about here. Yeah, it is every yeah. day, and I thank you for helping people with that. It's uh, the best job I ever had. There you, well, there you yeah. go. Hey, quote. I'll quote you on that. So, Jeff Beadle, thank you for being here again. Another. This is our third of a series of programs looking at different agencies and part of our community. So, thank you for the good work, and we'll look it's forward pleasure, to John. have you back another month or so. Nice to see Matt too behind the camera. Uh, that's right. Matthew Rupar keeps it all here, keeps it real for us. And thank you, Woody, for the good work. Uh, my pleasure. Thank you for having us. All righty. So, we're going to take good. a short break, and we'll be right back. Stay with us. All righty, you're back on the home front now for our next segment. We're going to focus on Thread City Classical Dance, based in Willimannock on Meadow Street. We're going to have a conversation now with Amy Chabot and Abigail Boyce. I had this earlier today on my program on WECS up at Eastern, but it's about their summer program series, which offers many dance opportunities throughout the summer, and their annual special show on May 27th. So here we go. Welcome to the studio. It's great to have you here. Thank you for inviting us. Welcome. Yeah, this is so exciting. Okay, Abigail. So let's talk about the most pressing thing that we have them here for today is your annual spring show, May 27th. That's a very big day. So kind of walk us through what your hopes are. Well, um, every year we try and have a theme. 
it kind of, it's always a bit of a struggle. Um, most choreographers are inspired not by themes, but by music. But it, it helps the audience if there's, you know, several different pieces to have some thread that ties them together. Sure. If you went to see a, a, a ballet company perform or a modern dance company perform, they'd either do a full-length program that was held together by the plot of the story, or they would do three acts. Um, but they wouldn't do 15 small pieces, which uh, requires a different kind of um, attention connection. So each year sure. we, we try to do something different. Our, our first one, we called it Spring Debut because it was our first show in 2017. And then the next year I thought, well, you know, a lot of our students come from Willimantic, but uh, more than half come from the surrounding towns. Sure. And they all have different ideas of, you know, what Willimantic is. Some of them are not always positive. Um, and I thought, well, let's let's celebrate Willimantic. It's a cool town. It has an awful lot of interesting things to it. So we did celebrate Willimantic, and we had yep. a frog. We had the frog bridge on our T-shirt. Very appropriate. And a we, beautiful image. We celebrated... Um, the flowers, the gardens on the bridge. We've celebrated the Victorian days. We celebrated the Chronicle. We did a whole dance to with newspapers. Oh, that's um, cool. We did Jules Verne, all sorts of... You know, we did Swift Waters. We did the uh, the spring over at Lauder Park. It was kind of fun. Um, the newspaper one was a little tricky. It's like, well, I thought, oh, that'll be easy. We'll find some music from one of those 1930s newspaper movies or maybe that Broadway show, Newsies. But nothing quite works. So I ended up using as a background uh, of a documentary on a printing house shutting down that did printed uh, some Boston paper, The Globe, I suppose. Um, it was interesting. Yeah, it's, well, it is because you're bringing the dance form to storytelling that people don't usually associate it. It's a stretch, but it's not, you know, too far. And it brings the form movement into it. And it taught our kids about some really nice things about Willimantic. It's a special place. Um, and then uh, the next year, I had a student in the fall who did a collaboration with a senior at UConn who was translating some poem f um, mm. from, I don't know, ancient Rome or maybe just near the downfall of Rome. I, if I, I were sure good, I would there. know the name. Um, and I thought, oh, you know, sh she's doing that in the fall. Let's let's do our that, that'll be our theme. We'll do poetry and motion, and we'll base everything off of poetry. Um, and we had a lot of fun with that. Uh, well, tying into the fall of Rome could be relevant today, the way things are going. <laughs> I hate to be too predictive yeah, here, but... Well, it turned to be all yeah. about, I think, Octavia poisoning somebody. And so oh. we left that wow, for the Octavia evening program. Yeah, the Russians for... love their poisoning. <laughs> That's a real art form over there, I believe. It wasn't it's... maybe for the, the, the pre-ballet and the little ones. We left it for the evening program. Um, but we, I don't know if you know, Byron had that poem. He was, there's a ballet based on, on one of Byron's most famous poems. Um, so that was interesting. And then we were getting ready to do Firebird. We had a couple boys in the school, so we could actually maybe do one of the story ballets a little bit because it's kind of hard to do any story with just girls. So yeah, um, cast of characters, kind that's of. That's a problem. And then, of yeah. course, COVID hit. Um, so the following year, we did... Uh, a film, a video. We did a, a performance out of um, Wyndham Theatre Guild's stage that was all videotaped, no audience. And 
our T-shirt was, uh, how did you spend the pandemic? And on the back, it says we danced. There you um, go. Last year, we were back to live performances. And I thought, you know, the pandemic, it, it's kind of like a before and after the war situation. The war comes through and it changes the culture. Yeah. Uh, World War One changed the world's culture forever. Um, and I thought, well, for these kids, well, what did they have before the pandemic that they want to make sure continues forward? And uh, so that was our theme, what, you know, treasures saved for new beginnings. This year, I was like, oh, what shall we do? Well, people always, you know, when I had to kind of fight to keep the word classical in, the, in our school's name. People right. were like, well, let's just do three. People, classical's off-putting, and that sounds stuffy and whatnot. Um, and I was very committed to the fact that we do classical format training. I'm interested in the process of refining day after day, refining your technique. Tech, you know, mm-hmm. um, classical ballet has a 600-year tradition that built up this technique. I think it's good to go with it. Um, so I said, let's do, let's examine the word classical. We can use classical music. Yeah. Uh, what does that mean? Uh, what does that mean to our dancers? Um, what does that mean to our choreographers? You know. Well, you know, I study Tai Chi, and it's about the form. Movement in form. You change the form, it changes the movement. Those kinds of things. It's, it's true. And, yeah. you know, and classical is one of those words. What does that really mean? You know, classical music, specifically what... To a music historian, that means a very specific period. To the kid on the street, that just means anything with a violin in it, you know. Um, and I, I think of ballet as kind of being like a piano. You know, we've had pianos for a couple hundred years now, and boy, it's our entirely different styles of music that come out of it. It's, it's a, it's a tool. It's a structure. It's a way of moving. So in case you've just joined us, I want to mention right now our topic is Thread City Classical Dance. The website is threadcityclassicaldance.com, and it's loaded with information to follow up on the things that we're talking about today because the other forms of dance that are connected involve belly dancing, tap, and jazz. Uh, And also, could you describe, uh, without losing me in language, core ballet versus ballet classes? Uh, What's core ballet? Oh, core. uh, That must be on our website. We have two different... We have a serious program. So when I say, we say core, those are our kids who come twice a week, and if they're going to be in a show, all of their rehearsals happen outside of the classroom. Well, they, they're in the studio, but they're in, we never rehearse during class time for our serious mm. students. Right. Um, their training is such that um, if they commitment. ever wanted to go professional, that they could transition um, into a, they'd be familiar with the vocabulary, they'd be familiar with the discipline, with the demands, what's expected of them. I studied at a serious school when I was a young person, and when it was time to go to college, you know, you're there in high school, 16, 17 years old. Um, I had friends who didn't study at a classical school, and they had dreams of going professional too, but there wasn't a chance at that point. Uh, people start joining companies at age 16. They apprentice at that age. And and though although these kids had been in a school since they were three or four or five, it mm. was not the path to a company. They 
they didn't have the background, they didn't have the training. It had been kind of a recreational show busyness type sure. place, whatever we can make money off of the kids. I just thought that was evil. So I didn't want to be part of that anymore. I wanted, if you wanted to go professional, that you were in such a place that you could make still a transition to conservatory training. We, we don't have the background for our kids to, they don't have the resources to come five days a week. I would love to see them five sure, days a week, but they and can't right. and their families. But they're not in such a place that they couldn't move to a school or a program that would do that. It wouldn't be putting them back in with the eight-year-olds. Yeah. Well, speaking of students, let's bring Abigail in now. Welcome to the program, Abigail. And I wanted to ask you, too, uh, you've been with the ballet company now for two years studying. Uh, what led you to want to make a commitment to this compared to other activities that you could have been doing? Something drew you to this. So what was the magic that worked well, for you? When I started, it was like in 2021 of February. So we were like trying to come back from the pandemic. And it was like there was not a lot of options. And then this was here. And we've always wanted to try. I've always wanted to try dancing. So ballet was here and it was in it was in a place that was like, you know, not too far away from our home. Like that's important. Yeah. Anywhere we live where we live in Eastford, Connecticut. So anywhere we go is going to be like a 30 minute drive at least. But like most of the other schools are like in Hartford and that's like an hour away and like yeah. not doable. That's a practical thing. Yeah. Yeah. And so this was here. And then again, when I started, I was like about you know, 13 going on 14. I haven't, I've only been dancing for two years. So like I was an older student, like what other studio could you really find that would take me, want to take me in because I'm, I'm old and obviously like I didn't know anything. Oh yeah. You're old and in the way, right? There you go. <laughs> yeah. Well, talking to Pancho Villa over here. Uh, bad jokes. I'm sorry. I apologize for that one. But the question is though, uh, I guess young people start younger because that's when the body is growing and is most able to adapt for training? Or is that a cliche that's totally untrue? That's a market. <laughs> okay. It's a, that's, a, that's kind of a business. I mean, in, in Europe and in the, in the top schools, really a, a child developmentally isn't quite ready for 90 minutes of focused work. I mean, before the age of seven, it's... It's play mixed with movement. Yeah, you're still developing the brain, too, frankly. Yeah. That's part of it. It's, it's just, a, you know, sure, there will be one kid here or there whose brain is put together a little differently than others and can maybe focus, but the average kid, it's not. But in America, we seem to think our kids have to start at three. So if we don't accept them at three, they don't come back. They don't say, oh, mm. I have to wait until I'm seven and come back then. So we, we give them a, a little experience with dancing and we let them have some joy of movement. Um, but you, won't, you wouldn't find a top school like Paris Opera or Russia. I'm sure there are like clubs that do recreational dancing for little kids, but the serious stuff isn't done at the young age. And then sometimes it's hard for them to transition from play-based to suddenly now we're going to all stand in a line and we're going to work on turning out and pointing our toes. That's, sure. That's a kind of an adjustment. And I think even um, our schools aren't, I don't think kids now are set up to learn in the same way that they might have been set up at, even in like the 1930s or 40s. They don't sit in rows, you know, when they're little. Sure. 
Which is probably a good thing. Well, you know, when I went to the website, if I could take the role maybe of a parent, someone who's going to be supporting this, uh, when you look at the schedule, there are many, many kinds of options. And the question would be, could without losing us in lots of details, what are the different levels where uh, a young person might fit in in an appropriate space, depending on their age or maybe their interest in tap or jazz or stylistic differences? Sure. Um, yeah. We see our tap and jazz, and this summer we're offering belly dancing because there's somebody in Lebanon who would love to, to – I don't know if it's they're in Lebanon, but they – um, they'd love to use our space, and that, that's a classical form, too. Um, but uh, at, say you have a three-year-old who loves to move. Um, we bring them in. They dance with other kids. They learn to skip. They learn to twirl. They you know, learn to jump and point their feet. They have games based in, mixed in with their teaching. Then if you get to about a six-year-old, about when kids are starting to go to school, we have something called ballet basics, and we give them an hour of a class they have maybe a half hour of working at the bar Mm -hmm. and then they have some skills that they learn in center and both of these kids get the chance to perform um that's a big a big goal for the small children it's you know it's all about the costumes um (laughs) interestingly enough by the time our students are choreographing their own dances a lot of them are choosing kind of practice clothes. What they're really interested in is the movement. Okay, so that's our pre-ballet and our ballet basics. When we get to our core program, it's a 90-minute class. Um, we have foundation for the ones who've been in ballet basics and are ready to have a real class. It's a 45-minute to hour-long bar, and we start pushing progression of skills in center. Um, and it's just a constant refining. Uh, so we have, you know, students from age three. Well, the core program is can be kids from age seven to, you know, high school kids, adults. Right. right. That's a lot of years. We split it into four levels, and depending on the skills of the kids that are in the school at that, that time, I, we divide it up according to them to, you know, where they fit best. It could be one year what would have qualified as advanced three years later might be what we're giving our intermediate kids. It's, um, oh, wow. yeah. it, it's, it depends on the skills and the ability to focus of, of the kids. Um, it's not a set thing. Oh, this yeah. year you learn this. Right. Um, so Abby, what's the best thing out of all the things that you take away from your experience? You know, like, what are the things that you would tell somebody else make it the most fun for you? Well, it's just been a good experience just been a good experience overall like it's been good to get out of the house I'm like homeschooled so I am home a lot and so it's it's been good just to get out of the house and like do something stretch your muscles make it look pretty and I love the music I love making things look pretty I'm like an artist all around I love I'm always looking for beautiful things and so ballet is just like it's just beautiful to look at and do. It's a lot of work, though, obviously. Do you take time and practice at home and stuff, work on moves that way? Well, yeah. Sometimes I've been a little lazy lately with school and everything. But. Well, yeah. School's over soon, though. Another few weeks and you'll be all set. Eastern's all done now as of last week, but you have more time in the summer for that. Yeah, it's going to be fun. I also take it with, like, my sister, and she really loves it. She's always like, yeah, we're going to, like, do this. And she's like, Abby, come and practice. I'm like, 
Okay. Oh, there you go. Having a partner helps a lot for a lot of things. Yeah. That's really great. So, um, Amy, what do you think as you look ahead to the summer? Uh, the programs run through August, right? So people have, you know, depending on the schedule, there are many opportunities. Well, our classes are discounted in the summer because we understand that people go away. So True. Um, and we are lower level class. Certain classes you do have to register for. Um, but the price is such that, you know, we kind of expect you're going to miss one. So we took that out of the, you know, the price. But for the intermediate and advanced kids, it's a drop-in situation. We, they buy a class card um, and we tech off, check off, you know, we buy eight, seven class card and Very nice. you come to seven classes throughout the 14 that are possible. And that's great it's, and flexible. We just teach a, a fun class. It's, you know, we aren't about the discipline over the summer. We let them wear their hair and ponytails. We let them wear shorts. It's the classes are in the evening so that they can do other things during the day and that's still right. come to class at night. Um, and we do have air conditioning. <laughs> hey. Yeah, that's a big factor. It's like uh, say that uh, one more time. Yes, it's we have air conditioning. Drum it's roll. a nice, cool place to be. Yeah. Yes. <laughs> well, you know, when you're working with family dynamics, they change week to week, and you could think. But with families, things shift all the time, and oh, having yeah. that flexibility is a make or break for some. That really yes. is practical stuff. It would be nice to be yeah. able to do that. Okay, I think we had a playback issue, and we lost our very last minute of that program. So sorry for that confusion on that. It's a rebroadcast of a program that I did earlier today on WECS up at Eastern. I do a program there called the Pan American Express on Wednesdays from 12 to 3, and it's very similar to the format we have here at WILI, except we also include lots of music from across the Americas, Central America, North America, and so forth. So anyway, the... Uh, ThreadCityClassicalDance.com is the website that they were talking about. And if you go there, you can find out about the classes and the schedules. The location is 25 Meadow Street, right here in uh, the Willimantic area, right here in downtown. And their special spring show is on May 27th. So you can find out more about that on all the dancing for the summer. So I want to thank uh, Amy Chabot and also Abigail Boyce for being on that interview. See, the world isn't perfect. When it gets into digital, everybody gets very impressed, but it's still, you know, a $50 O-ring blows up the Challenger and a little glitch in the computer chip, and I lost a little bit of the show. But that's all right. I also want to mention, too, that we're on the air all summer here on Wednesdays, and there's always room for you to join us here in the studio. If you send me an email, we'll be very happy to have you here to share your story. If you have a special annual event, this is something new that we're talking about while I have one minute. If you have a special annual event... Come here about a month ahead of time. We can do a show to talk about what you're doing. All these shows get posted on YouTube. WILI Radio has its own YouTube channel. And we have a playlist. So your show then is on YouTube with a link that you can use in your emails to let your supporters know your story. And our studio conversation can be part of your toolbox. So you think about that. It's here for you all year. If you want to connect, just send an email to john at humanartsmedia.com. john at humanartsmedia.com. And we'll take it from there. So thanks for sharing some of your time. And we'll see with you next week. Take care.